Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Um, one of the things uh, that I love about Chuck Colson was that he had perspective about what happened to him in his past and how God transformed and changed his life. I drew the conclusion from Chuck Colson that if somebody like Chuck Colson, who uh, was infamous for crime, could change their lives even after being sent to prison, then there is hope for you and I. There is nothing that is too far, too deep, too sinful, too wicked that is out of the reach of God. And so Chuck Colson had this perspective and he wrote this quote and I want to read this to you. He said, all my achievements meant nothing in God's economy. No, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation being sent to prison was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. Only when I lost everything I thought made Chuck Colson a great guy had I found the true self God intended me to be, the true purpose of my life. It is not what we do that matters, but what a sovereign God chooses to do through us. God doesn't want our success. God wants us. He doesn't demand our achievements. He demands our obedience obedience. Victory comes through defeat, healing through brokenness, finding self through losing self. That is real perspective. And I believe that would be the same perspective that the Apostle Paul would have as he's talking to his young son, Timothy, in the faith. And so in verse 12, Paul starts off by sharing his personal testimony with his son. He gave him the commission in verse 3 that he was supposed to defend the faith against those who were teaching a different doctrine. And so he goes on to encourage and convict his young son in the faith of the perspective and the attitude that he would need to have longevity and to be able to do the task that God called him to do in the church at Ephesus. And so his first thing to do was to encourage his young son in the faith. And Paul starts out by doing something that most of us would probably not do. Paul challenges Timothy to make sure that he is thankful for the role that Jesus has played in calling him to ministry. And so my first point of today is this, that if we're going to serve the Lord, our posture and our attitude must be one of thanksgiving. We need to be glad that God chose to use people like you and I. And so Paul states that nothing, that he had nothing to do with his calling, but it was all initiated and sustained by Jesus Christ. He says he determined and judged that I was committed to his word. He appointed me to serve him. And also he gave me the strength necessary to stand in the office that I stand in. And so here's our point for you and I today. We don't use our own strength. We don't determine our own faithfulness and we don't appoint ourselves to ministry. Jesus is the one who strengthens, qualifies, and appoints those who serve. We didn't call ourselves, Jesus called us. And so because he calls us and appoints us, he gets to dictate the terms of our service. We don't get to determine how, where, and who we serve. Jesus determines 
everything. If it was up to you and I, most of us would go and serve in a church that has creature comforts and better amenities and more people and more notoriety and better chances for opportunities of leadership and, and, and a platform where we could get some sort of recognition. But God sometimes will put you in a place to do the hard work to get something small started and get it off the ground. And he would rather use you that way sometimes than rather giving you the fame and fortune that your flesh thinks that you deserve. And so our service from start to finish, no matter how hard it gets, is sustained by the grace of Jesus. For many of us, ministry can become hard because we're sustaining it in our own flesh. But when you realize that he was the one that called you and appointed you and strengthened you, you will start to rely on the grace of God to do the work of ministry rather than your own strength. And so we would all... We should all be thankful for the high privilege of serving in his name. And although Paul has been through some challenges in his journey of serving, he is still grateful that he has had the opportunity to serve. Sometimes we grow ungrateful because we get tired of ministry. We complain about having to serve the Lord rather than thank him, thanking him for getting to serve. We are tempted to think that God should thank us for our spiritual service. I want to read this quote to you by Nancy Lay DeMoss, who wrote in her book, Brokenness, The Heart God Revives. She had this to say, proud, unbroken people have a desire for self-advancement. They are driven to be recognized and appreciated. They say the ministry is privileged to have me. Broken people, on the other hand, have a sense of unworthiness. They are thrilled to be used at all, eager for others to get the credit. When they think of their own involvement in the church, they say, I don't deserve to serve in a ministry like this. Wow. When was the last time you said, I don't get, I, I, I don't deserve to serve in a ministry like this? I know it's not thousands, but man, I am grateful that God used me to serve hundreds. I'm grateful that God got me uh, the opportunity to serve 10 people. Whatever it is, we don't deserve to be able to serve anybody. And so Paul never lost his sense of personal unworthiness for ministry or his profound gratitude for the privilege of serving God. I wonder why Paul has this perspective and this attitude of thanksgiving, although ministry sometimes can be burdensome. I think Paul can give us a picture and perspective because Paul is grateful and thankful because Paul is well aware of the past life that he had before he came to Christ. And so Paul, in verse 13, looks back on the event of his calling. Paul realizes that he has an egregious past. Paul realizes that he was at one point in time a thoroughly disreputable person. Paul realizes that at one time he was a callous murderer. Paul realized that at one point in his life that he was in an all-out assault to kill and get rid of all of the Christians. And so Paul comes to grips with his own uh, faults and his own sins and his own past and his own wickedness, and he calls them out in the car on the carpet in a letter. He says, I was a blasphemer. 
That's a person who denies God or speaks um, incorrectly about God's name. That's, that's somebody who speaks disrespectfully about God. He says, I was a blasphemer. I was also a persecutor. I was literally taking Christians and dragging them out of their houses and beating them and then throwing them in, 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 throwing them in prison. My goal was to actually destroy the church at one point in time. He also says, I was insolent. I was, I was insolent. That just means that he was so prideful that he had the worst behavior possible. He, he had horrible behavior. There's a, a, an account of this in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. I'll be reading that from the Message Bible. Acts 26, verses 9 and 11. Here's what Paul's perspective is. He says, I, I admit that I didn't always hold this position. For a time, I thought it was my duty to oppose this Jesus of Nazareth with all my might. Back with the full authority of the high priest, I threw these believers. I had no idea they were God's people. I, I, into the Jerusalem jail left and right, and whenever it came to a vote, I voted for their execution. I stormed through their meeting places, bullying them into cursing Jesus. A one-man terror obsessed with obliterating these people, and then I started on the towns outside of Jerusalem. Man. Paul has a dark past. Paul has a dark past. But what I love about Paul is Paul is not trying to hide his past and sweep it under the rug. We all have a past, some darker than others. Some stuff is so deep and so hard that many of us have tried to tuck it away somewhere and pretend that it never happened and that it never existed. But guess what? That's not how God handles your issues. God doesn't just just turn a, a deaf ear and a blind eye to your issues. God doesn't just sweep your stuff under the rug. God, God, God actually calls your stuff to the carpet. And, and we would serve ourselves well to call all of our issues to the carpet and take an assessment of our issues, our weaknesses and our struggles and come to grip with the things that happened in our past, the things that we've done and the things that we still struggle with. You hiding it and sweeping it under the rug is not serving your benefit. But what what we have to do is call those things out on the carpet and lay them at the feet of Jesus and come and fight and contend and deal with them until we get delivered from them. But we like to sweep it under the rug. And, and, and here's the thing. God doesn't pretend that our stuff doesn't exist. But what I love about Paul is Paul realizes that he had some serious grave issues, that he had a very dark and checkered past. But there was something that happened to Paul in 13b of this chapter. In 13b of this chapter, Paul realizes that his transformation from who he was then to who he is now as the apostle was a matter of divine grace. Paul says, I was out there wilding out, tripping, doing crazy stuff, doing things that I had no business doing. I was doing all kind of stuff. I don't deserve this position, but something happened to me, but I receive mercy. Mm. I receive mercy. Some of us thank God for his grace, but some of us need to thank God for his mercy. Paul says, I acted ignorantly in unbelief. That means he did stuff that he didn't even know he was doing that was wrong. He was acting unintentionally and unconsciously. He didn't know any better at the time. He was just out there as an unbeliever, wilding out, committing atrocities against Christians. But let me say this. Paul says he acted ignorantly in unbelief. Let me say this. Ooh. well, then, Pastor, guess what? When I be doing stuff wrong, I just be acting, acting ignorantly in unbelief. But pleading ignorance doesn't lessen the degree of guilt. God never excuses sin because of mitigating circumstances. 
Let me say that again. God never excuses sin because of mitigating circumstances. It was my circumstances that made me do it. The temptation got too hard for me and I, I, I just wasn't able, able to handle it. I, I, I succumbed, I, I succumbed to, the, to the pressure of what was in front of me. But, but that's not an excuse for sin. But I said that to say this, that all of the things that you did in your past where you didn't know any better and all of us had a season where we didn't have the right perspective and we didn't know any better. We knew we were wilding out, but we didn't know the depths of what we were doing. There's something called mercy. Mercy stepped in and mercy is what saved you and I. This is what mercy does. God did not give Paul what he deserved or what he had coming to him. That would have been death. But what mercy does, mercy is God stepping in and not giving me what I deserve, but giving me what I need. And so oftentimes we didn't get what we deserve because that would have been death. We didn't get what we deserved because that would have been a child out of wedlock. We didn't get what we deserved because that would have been some sort of some sort of disease. We didn't get what we deserved because that would have been a car accident for driving drunk. We didn't get what we deserved because when we were in the club while and out, somebody could have came in and shot up the club. That's not what God gave us. God didn't give us what we deserved because of our sin. Mercy stepped in and God didn't give us what we deserved, but he gave us what we needed. And that was Jesus. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. And so Paul says that, that that mercy, I acted ignorantly, but I received mercy. And once I received the mercy, God came in and he stopped me. Then on top of the mercy, he poured out his grace on me. He says the grace of God overflowed. Essentially, he's saying that God's grace overwhelmed my sin. Romans 5 and 20 says this. And where sin increased, grace superabounded. God has more grace than you got sin. You can't sin enough to get rid of God's grace. No matter what you've done, how many times you've done it or who you've done it with, God's grace just keeps pouring over and drowning out your mess, your sins, your issues, your struggles, your habits and your addictions. God's grace overabounds and overflows our sin and grace chases us down and takes us over. And Paul says, that's what happened to me. I had no intentions on following Jesus. I was trying to kill Christians. I was out here wilding out and somehow, some way, God found it in his favor to come and interrupt my regularly scheduled programming and drop a load of grace and mercy on my life. And ever since then, everything about me and my life has been different. And so the overflow of God's grace is powerful enough to overcome my ignorance my unbelief, my past, and every other thing that I deal with. And so God calls his grace to overflow to the one person who seemingly deserved it the least. Point number one, main point, if you don't take nothing else home, leaders must be grateful. Leaders must be grateful. If you are saved, you must be grateful grateful. If you can walk and talk and chew gum at the same time, you must be grateful. Even if you got in trouble, even if you got caught red-handed, even if your own sin destroyed your life, let me tell you something. It could have been worse than the outcome you received. It could have been a lot worse. God could have literally killed you because that's what you deserve. But God didn't do that to kill you. God allowed your issues, your challenges, your setbacks to shape and mold you into who he wanted you to be. And therefore, because God still uses you in spite of all your junk that people know about and the things that 
that people don't know about, you should be grateful. So gets to this point. Um, leaders must be grateful. And this whole picture of Paul's life and God interrupting his life with the grace and mercy leads us to one of the most concise, clear and compelling descriptions of the gospel in the entire Bible in verse 15. And he said, Christ Jesus, this happened to me because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Do you know that the mission of Jesus was to come into this world and save sinners? For His mission was to come into a world that was in need of God and to save sinners. That, that's Jesus' main overarching theme and mission, not to make you rich, not to give you good health, not to give you a Boaz, not to give you a boo, not to give you a lot of money, not for you to get rich or die trying. He didn't come to die for any of that. He came to die for sinners. Sinners. He came for sinners. And so he came into a world that was in need of God. And that's why we need to appreciate Jesus, because he came to live the life we could not live and to die the death we deserve to die and to rise in victory over the enemies that we could not conquer, namely sin and death. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, the very son of God, left heaven in all of his glories to come down in a dirty, dark, sinful, wicked world to die for people like you and I. And we must believe that because this was a real event in history. Jesus coming into the world changes everything. Why does it change everything? Because he came to save people like you and I. Paul says, I'm the I'm the foremost. It's amazing that Paul has at this time the most outside of Jesus, the most influential ministry and still probably outside of Jesus has the most influential ministry. It is amazing how Paul, even after um, his conversion on the Damascus road, read Acts chapter nine, even after his conversion, when Jesus found him and interrupted him as he was going to kill Christians, it is amazing that Paul, even after his conversion, still has a deep awareness of his sinfulness that allowed him to grow in grace and service to God. Paul's sin is something that he is so aware of and we as believers and as leaders need never not be in touch with the things that we grapple and struggle with. We need to be aware of our sin at all times. There's something about being aware of your own depravity, your own frailty, your own weaknesses that serves us well. Because when I'm aware that I am still a sinner, when I'm aware that I still struggle from time to time, when I'm aware that I still have hangups and issues, it serves somewhat as a buffer so that I don't get big headed and I don't get arrogant in my Christianity, that I still need Jesus. And the gospel that I preach to unbelievers is the same gospel that I need to be reminded of on a day to day basis myself. Oftentimes, believers, we need to hear the gospel just as much as people who are out there in the world. We need to be reminded of God. God's grace. We need to be reminded of God's mercy. We need to be reminded that God died for us even in our mess. No matter how high you get on the ladder of spirituality, you still need Jesus. Everybody has to come down and be at the common denominator, which is the foot of the cross. We all need God's grace and mercy every single day of our lives. We cannot rest on our laurels. We cannot rest on what we've accomplished. We cannot rest on where we've arrived to. We cannot rest on anything. All we need to know is that every day we still need Jesus. I don't know about you, but I stand right 
right here in this pulpit today as your pastor telling you that I still need Jesus every day. Two o'clock on Tuesday, I need Jesus. Thursday at three o'clock, I still need Jesus. Lord have mercy. Friday, I still need Jesus. Saturday night when I'm trying to prepare with this sermon and Satan's playing with my mind, I still need Jesus. I need Jesus every day, every second, every minute of my life. And so do you. And so do you. And so Paul is aware of this. And the interesting thing is that God chose to take the chief persecutor and make him the chief missionary. <laughs> God chooses to make, take the worst sinner and make him the biggest proponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's called confounding the wise. And so God's grace can reach anybody. And so when we come to this realization, serving God makes it about him. It makes it about him. It makes it about him. And so what Paul says is, verse 16, I receive mercy for this reason so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience, his perfect patience. If you got a Bible, you highlight and you write something down. I want you to look at that term, perfect patience. Uh, uh, perfect patience, Christ, so that Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. And so really the, the, the idea of patience has a, has a background in the Old Testament. And, and so it gives this image of divine patience that God holds off his wrath so that people will have time to repent and come back to him. And so when he talks about perfect patience, Paul is saying that my life, my conversion should serve as an illustration of divine patience. That if God was patient with me, then God can be patient with absolutely anybody. If God was able to wait and contend for me to save me at the right time, although I was a murderer and a persecutor of the church and I did everything to wipe Christians off the face of the earth. If God can contend and be patient with me, then God definitely can contend and be patient with everybody else. So my question then becomes, why do we get so frustrated at people when they don't receive Jesus? If God was willing to contend with you for years and God and God is still contending with you on a day to day basis, why are you impatient with other people who have not yet come to the realization that you've come to? And so this demonstration for Paul is, 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 is showing that God can wait on anybody. Patience really is when a person has the power to avenge themselves, yet they restrain from the exercise of power. It's kind of like um, all of you were perfect, good, mannerable children, um, and you acted well at all times. However, I had a couple moments. I was a good kid, but I had a couple moments. And uh, I probably did a couple things that probably deserved uh, deserve a whipping. So let me explain to you. A whipping is when, uh, millennials, a whipping is when your parent pulls out a, a, a weapon called, a tool called a belt. A belt something you wear around your waist. Um, they take these things off and, and, and there were times in, in human history where parents would actually take off these, um, uh, this equipment, this weapon of warfare, and they would um, smite their children with it. And so, um, so, so, so this right here wasn't some inappropriate sign. This here was a sign to children across the world to let them know that if you keep in the manner that you've been acting, that this will go across your little narrow um, behind. And so there were times when I probably did some things um, and broke some stuff 
and said some stuff and got flipping at times. And I probably deserve for my mother's carnal weapon to be used across across my you know what. But there were times when although I deserved a whooping, she had the ex she could exercise her authority at any moment. But because of her loving kindness and my future, and she wanted me to walk, she withheld the power that she could have executed on me. That's called perfect patience. When you have the authority to exact something on somebody and you don't do it. And so many of us need to realize that God is like that parent. That although he has the belt, he doesn't always exercise the power and the authority that he could on you when he should. And so we need to be appreciative sometimes of the weapons that God did not give us. We need to be appreciative of the times when we messed up and we know that we deserve a whooping, a spanking, a beating. We know we deserve for God to go out and get the Holy Switch from outside and spank us. But he did not give it to us because he loved us and he had perfect patience to contend with us in our mess. And so Paul says that let that be an example, let that be a, a pattern, let that be a model, that that's how sometimes God operates in the lives of unbelievers. Sometimes God will wait and let them continue to mess up and then God will pick the time and place and choose when he will save them. We have the responsibility of gospel proclamation, but we don't determine when somebody gets saved. We put that out there and we let God do the rest of the work. And so we keep on preaching, but we allow God in his perfect patience to come in and save people at the appointment at time we don't have control over that and so we need to be careful and mindful that we don't get impatient with people because we don't serve an impatient God if God was patient with you then God can be patient with your neighbor and so he says it was an example God's mercy it was an example what do you mean God's reason for granting mercy wasn't even about me in the first place his mercy towards me was about his extraordinary patience being on display for those who would believe in the future. So when people look at my life and see how I was and see God waited and was patient with me, then that will serve to them as an example that if God waited on him, God can wait on me. If God was patient with them, then I know that there is hope for me. So this whole thing, this whole idea of God's mercy ain't even about you and I because we don't deserve mercy in the first place. It is God putting our issues on display so that Jesus could be exalted and people can look to him as a perfect and patient God. This, scrap, this, passage, this passage of scripture ain't even about Paul and Timothy. It's actually about Jesus Christ and his patience and using people that are unqualified and typically that the world wouldn't use. But God in his patience and his mercy and his grace uses people who are unqualified and who don't deserve to be called. This ain't even about Paul and Timothy. This is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so main point, he said all that. He gives his testimony. Talks to his son, Timothy. Remember what I went through. God used me. God's grace, Jesus sustains, he appoints, he calls, he strengthens those. So Timothy, remember that. But Timothy, let me go back to verse 3 and remind you. Here's what he says. This charge I entrust you, verses 18 through 19. This, is, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. And so he's saying, now it's about you, Timothy, let me focus on you. So apparently, according to scripture, 
there was an event, there was some service, some ordination that took place in Timothy's life. Um, Timothy, um, the elders of the church came and laid hands on Timothy and Timothy received some sort of prophetic word, some sort of encouragement about his ministry, about his future. And so Paul is calling that to place and Paul is telling Timothy to remember what was spoken over your life. Remember the prophecies that were made to you about your call and your ministry. Remember the things that were spoken over you. And Paul is inciting Timothy and reminding him about the commission, about what was spoken over his life to remind him so that those things can serve him well, that he could remember. Timothy, they said that you were gonna be an amazing teacher. Timothy, it was prophesied that you would be a defender of the gospel. Timothy, it was prophesied to you that you would evangelize the world. Timothy, it was prophesied to you that you would do this, that, and the third. And so he wants Timothy to be reminded of what was spoken over him so that Timothy can know that no matter what I face in leadership, no matter how hard it gets, no matter the opposition that I run into, I will always be reminded that God is with me and that I am equipped and called to do exactly what I am equipped and called to do. Some of us need to be reminded that you're not doing it in your own strength, but you need to remember the, mo mo the moment and point of God's calling to your life when God gave you the gift that he gave you, when you discovered that you were equipped to do a certain thing. You need to remember that point and know that God is the one that equipped you to do it, and God will be the one that will sustain you still, which leads me to this next point. He gives him that reminder. He tells him to be strong and to carry out the command and remember the things that were spoken over him he said that because he, Paul knew this one thing that all leaders will have to engage in battle there is no easy path to leadership I said that last week there ain't no such thing as coasting down the road of leadership. You can't put your car on cruise control and leadership. There are going to be bumps and bruises and setbacks and disappointments and frustration and heartbreak and uh, unmet expectations. All of those things will happen in the life of somebody who is called to serve in ministry. But you cannot let those issues distract you from the battle at hand because leaders will have to engage in battle. That's why he says to Timothy, wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare. Wage the good war, wage the good warfare as if there is a bad warfare because sometimes some stuff is not worth you engaging in. <laughs> some issues ain't worth you fighting. Some issues the Satan is just putting there to distract you to, 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 so that you can lose your focus. Every, every issue that falls in your lap ain't something that you need to deal with. Let, let me give you that as life practical application in your career, at your job, in your family life, uh, with your cousins, your aunties, your sister, your brother, your parents, with the people that you work with, whatever God has called you to do, whatever sphere of life God has put you in to serve as a leader, to be his kingdom representative in the earth. Not every issue that falls in your lap is something that you need to devote your time to. Some stuff you just need to know, oh, that's from the enemy. I ain't getting involved in that foolish and that nonsense. Some stuff you need to to just sweep to the side and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and the matter at hand. All leaders will have to at some point face an opposition, but you are supposed to wage the good warfare. That means you do what God has called you to do. And in the case of Timothy, his battle is for him to fight for sound theology. Because you need to know this, it comes back to our point from, yes, from, from last week. The gospel will be the only thing that sustains our lives and the church during dark days. What Jesus has done for us is the most important thing that we will ever fight for. 
as believers and as leaders in the local church. We must defend it and we must protect it. We must defend it and we must protect it. Why? Why, 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 why must we do that? Because we have to remember what happened to the Apostle Paul. God's grace came in and interrupted his life and transformed his life. That's what the gospel does. And we are called to go out there and preach to a dying world what Jesus did for us. We should never lose sight of that. And so there are people out there just like the Apostle Paul and just like you and I who need to be interrupted by God's grace. But if we are majoring in minor issues, we'll never get to the point. We'll never, well, well Pastor, um, I'm not a preacher, so I, I don't go out and preach the gospel. You do preach by the way you live. People read the gospel of your life. Are you gracious? Are you kind? Are you compassionate? Are you forgiving? Are you long-suffering? Are you patient with people? Do you actually care? When you ask somebody how they're doing, are you really asking because you actually care? Are you demonstrating and displaying the gospel through the way that you live? Is your attitude one of a believer and somebody that is glad to be saved? No matter how little money you make at your job, no matter where you are, no matter what you think you deserve or where you think you should be, are you still grateful where you are? Are you grateful where you are? Because when you're grateful and people see that, that you're grateful in spite of the circumstances, it sends a message and a witness that you are somebody that Jesus has called. It makes Jesus look so great and so beautiful. How can you have a joy like you have in the midst of what you're going through? That is the gospel that we preach. And so finally, Timothy's there and his guys in the church. Earlier in verse, I think it was verse three, verse four, Paul said um, <laughs> certain persons, he didn't even bother him by name, to call them by name. Then he names them later on. He says, Hymenius and Alexander, um, they, they've, they've shipwrecked the faith. The interesting thing about Hymenius and Alexander was that they were at one point ordained leaders in the church and they deviated from the message of the gospel, which should serve as a warning to you and I that although we might be saved and on the right path now, it does not guarantee that that will continue to happen for us. It also should serve as a reminder to all of us that just because a leader starts out on the right path does not mean that that will be where they end. That's why we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day and be reminded of it because it is easy to get off course. You can have great ministry one day, all be going to shambles the next. That's a reality. And here it is. These guys, Hymenius and Alexander, have shipwrecked their faith. That's some catastrophic stuff. They literally ran the faith in the ground. They ran it in the ground. And here's what Paul says. I just handed them over to Satan. Wow, that's harsh. That's harsh. He, he, he said, I handed them over to Satan. I gave up on trying to correct them. I, I gave up on trying to make them right. I gave up on trying to give them second chances. I gave up on having powwows and come to Jesus meeting. I gave up on it and I just, I just handed them over to Satan because of what they were doing. And for, for you and I, we'd probably say, man, that's harsh. They were leaders in the church. Why would he hand them over to Satan? 
that, that goes to church discipline because sometimes when you've said all that you can say, the best thing that you can do for a person is let them go out into the world where Satan is king and he rules that spear and let his discipline bring them back home. So this wasn't harsh. This was grace. So sometimes God will let you get so far out there into a place where you get in trouble so much that you don't have a choice but to run back home to Jesus. And so sometimes you can run away and it seems like it's going good for a minute, but God has a way of using Satan to discipline your life and make you uncomfortable and things don't work out and people break up and cars fall apart and people foreclose on homes and people get kicked out of school and people get pregnant out of wedlock and people get venereal diseases and all of those things happen and people lose money and God is saying, I'm using that not to kill you, but to bring you back home where you belong. And so we got to stop seeing God's discipline as punishment and see it as grace. Grace is the fact that he don't kill you while you out there. And so he says, I'm just handing them over. And he knew this. They said in 19 and 20 that they were shipwrecked because of this one thing, blasphemy. If you remember at the beginning of this text, around verse 13 or 14, what did Paul say he was doing? Blaspheming. <laughs> he was blaspheming. Paul knew that if God saved me from blaspheming, he can save them too. Which means this, no matter how someone who was once a believer runs away from the faith, we can never give up. Being shipwrecked is survivable. Not everybody on the Titanic died. Some people survived. And God is like that. That although we may shipwreck our faith at sometimes, God can get through the wreckage, can get through the mess that you've made and pull you out of it and pull you out of it and use you again and restore you back to fellowship in the body. And that's grace. And that's what the gospel is. It is not about perfect people looking for other perfect people, but it's about imperfect people displaying the perfect patience that God displayed for them at some point in time in their lives. And so that should always be our attitude, that we are thankful that God used us. We need to have the attitude of a leader, and that is a grateful attitude. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.